Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore, supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Now, good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It is Wednesday the 8th of November 2023. MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Many thanks to Sinead Hubble for standing in for me last week, as well last week, and back in the hot seat this week. So delighted to be speaking to you all for the course of the next hour. And it was a cold and wet winter's day today. Uh, no real other way to describe it. And it's more of the same for the next few days. Uh, signs are that it's slightly milder towards the end of the weekend. So that's something. But it's a definite, definite winter chill in it today. Now, this week, we have lots in store for you over the course of the programme. And in a moment, I will have news of a payment for you. If you're farming in the Shannon Callows, And there have been lots of queries from farmers about this, obviously really badly affected over the course of the summer uh, with a tremendous amount of winter feed lost. So that has been announced officially today. There is going to be a payment per hectare. Pat Murphy, the Connacht Regional Chair from IFA, is going to join me in a moment to give details on that. Also, lots of queries from farmers out and about here with the programme and when I'm speaking to people as well about the SCEP suckler cow scheme so people have received letters stating that they're not meeting the requirement of females in their herd and they're wondering what is the story or what needs to be done there was an extension date given from the 31st of October through to the 24th of November but farmers are a little unsure so we're going to shed some light on the subject Chris Daly from the ICBF is going to talk to me in just a minute on that so stay tuned if you're one of those farmers and you're wondering what you have to do the annual Nuffield conference takes place this week and County Mead farmer Joe Leonard is the chair of Nuffield Ireland. Nuffield Ireland is the scholarship programme that sees people given a bursary to pursue a certain area of research. We've had lots of Nuffield scholars here on over the years and scholars will be presenting their findings at the conference. Joe's going to give me a flavour of the areas of study this year and Joe himself is a dairy farmer and a former Nuffield scholar. He's farming in County Mead, but he farms very close to Dublin Airport of all places. And he's going to tell us about the event which is taking place this week. Staying on the Nuffield theme, Aoife Feeney will join me to chat about her area of research. That's the hugely topical subject of water quality. So her paper is called Identifying Ways to Encourage Farmers to Prioritise On-Farm Action for Water Quality. Basically, what can you do? to improve and increase water quality in your area. And Aoife has spent a number of years working in the Netherlands, where, as we know, intensive agriculture and water quality are something that go hand in hand, and she was dealing with that on a daily basis. Now, unfortunately, potato growers are in serious trouble this year, with somewhere between 50 and 60% of the crop still in the ground. It's fingers crossed for a dry spell, but also hoping for no frost. So with the date of the 15th of November, just around the corner, the traditional date to have potatoes out of the ground, it's uh, really a hopeful time for potato growers that they will get some respite. Sean Ryan, Wexford farmer and chair of the Potato Committee with the IFA, joins me later to chat about this hugely concerning time for potato farmers. Now, as always, text to show with your comments, thoughts or questions to 083 30 10 103. And as I said, I'm going to start this evening with news on SCEP. And I have Chris Daly from the ICBF. Uh, Chris, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Yeah, uh, good evening, MJ. Evening to all your listeners. Uh, you're coming to us from uh, West Cork, uh, Chris, down in Clannacilty. You know, ICBF is uh, is Cork based. What's the weather doing in West Cork this evening? Is it is it a cold, wet winter's evening like the Midlands? 
Um, yeah, no different to how you described it up there earlier. Um, a lot of showers, a bit chillier now. Um, so yeah, definitely winter is starting to, to kick in. Winter is right. starting to creep in. So Chris, what I want you on for is a farmer, a couple of farmers came to me last week said, look, they got letters from uh, yourselves, from the ICBF, and it's saying that there are the female requirements not being met in the herd. Um, and they were of the belief that uh, they were okay, that they had enough four and five star heifers. Um, is this down, Chris, to uh, a delay with the, the sampling? Will these farmers be okay if samples have been sent in? What's the background to it, please? Yeah, so look, farmers will find themselves in a few different situations. So some of the farmers are waiting on genotypes to come through. And when those genotypes come through, they will possibly find themselves being compliant because, you know, as long as the animals were in the herd on 31st of October, even if the genomic evaluations aren't published until into November, that will uh, that will see them become compliant. You know, the key thing was was to have the animals in the herd on 31st of October. That was the case in BDGP as well, that the genomic evaluation mightn't have been published till November, but if the animals were in the herd on 31st of October, then they, they would be compliant. You then have farmers that even when their genomic evaluations are published, they still will not have enough genotype 4 and 5 star females. And it's for those farmers that the extension to the 24th of November is critical because what that extension to the 24th of November will allow them to do is it gives them until that date, which is Friday the 24th of November, to buy in genotype 4 and 5 star females if they need them. So even where farmers are waiting on, on genotypes to be published, Farmers will have a fair idea from the, the non-genomic star ratings of the animals. So, for example, if if a farmer was waiting on five females for their genomic evals to come through, but all five of them had very high uh, replacement indexes, so, you know, they were well up into the five stars, it would be very unlikely that they would drop back three. That farmer then could be pr- fairly confident that, you know, those five animals will more likely be, become eligible and they will be compliant. But... If they're waiting in genomic evals for animals to come through that are maybe, you know, two star, three star, they may not be uh, become eligible and they may need to look at their options um, and, and look at possibly sourcing animals before the 24th of November. Yeah, you took the uh, words out of my mouth there, Chris, because that was the question I was going to ask. Exactly that. If you send off the samples, uh, what are the likelihood that they'll tick the boxes? So look, you answered it there. I'm presuming the labs are just absolutely flat to the mat and that's what the delay is. Yeah, so look, the extension really is born out of, of, of um, number one, it's year one of the scheme and year one of any scheme, it's always slower to start. Um, so, I mean, applications didn't really start till I think it was in April, May. And then you have lab tendering processes and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> but you also had the other, um, I suppose, a double whammy in a sense of the, the national genotyping program coming on stream as well. So what the lab is now seeing is is huge quantities of samples arriving every day um, and just just being swamped essentially with samples. So um, they were struggling to get through the quantities and, and keep up with the with the backlog or, or um, I suppose process that backlog. Um, but they are starting to get on top of it now, and we we're pretty confident that you know all of the skip samples will actually be processed before the payments are done in in December. So like any any animals that are waiting in genomic evaluations, you know, they'll have those genomic evaluations. Um, but as I said, farmers would need to be proactive. So if 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 um, for the farmers who's, who who have all of their genotypes published and they're short, then they know for a fact 
that they will need to do something by the 24th of, of November. Um, and for other farmers who are still waiting on genotypes, they need to just have a, have a look at the indexes of the animals before they get their genomic evaluation and see, well, are they likely to stay four and five star or not? If they're very high in the replacement index, you can be quite confident. But if they're borderline, it's just a little bit trickier then. Yeah, that's perfect, Chris. Look, you've explained that to us very nicely, I have to say. I'm going to say many thanks for joining us here on the programme. And uh, f- farmers can uh, can go and have a look at those replacement index and see how they go. And their, uh, their genomic evaluations will be coming to them. Many thanks for that, Chris. No problem, Jay. Take care. Uh, Chris Daly there from the ICBF. So look, as Chris said, if you did get that letter out and it says that your females are have an issue at the moment, it is as a result of what Chris said. Look, there's a backlog there at the moment. And uh, if the animals that you sent the samples off, now you had to have the sample sent off uh, for the 31st of October. I'm sure you did, okay? Uh, but once that was done and once those animals were in your herd, uh, then you're looking fairly okay once they have high replacement indexes at the moment. So double check the samples you sent off. Have a look at the letter that was sent out from the ICBF. See if there's four or five stars beside them in the replacement section. And if there is, then you're looking fairly okay. But as Chris said, if they don't have four or five stars now in replacements, uh, count how many to do, and then you might have to go looking on um, Dundee or the Marts or wherever for those four or five star replacements to meet your target for 24th of November because that is Friday fortnight so i hope that uh, clears things up for people now moving on to the area of the shannon callows and i have pat murphy the connacht regional chair of the ifa joining me pat many thanks for taking my call good evening MJ. you're welcome uh pat you're a man who uh, does tireless work for people in the callow areas and obviously we have lots of listeners here in county offaly and county westmead who are affected by it this summer, and I use the word summer with inverted commas almost, uh, the last few months, what, 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 whatever you'd call it, you wouldn't call it a summer, but it has been notoriously challenging for lots and lots of areas of agriculture. But people who are relying on callow land for winter feed were hit very badly. Yeah, it's been a disastrous year. and been one of the wettest summers ever, but more importantly, one of the wettest Julys. And that's when the callows are cut, most farmers cut from the 15th of July on can't cut before that some of them cut from the 1st of July on and this year even though we tried to get the gates open as early as we could and get the levels down the levels of rainfall that fell just made it impossible for any of the crops to be saved unfortunately and farmers are facing losses of up to between 50 and 70,000 bales of of silage and hay so Mm. that is that's the loss that farmers are facing yeah, huge, huge numbers, Pat. Uh, no question about it. Minister McConnell came out today. Look, lobbying from yourselves in the IFA of a payment of €325 Euro per hectare. And uh, as it says on your press release, it'll go some way to alleviating the hardship caused by the weather conditions. Look, we'd always like more in these payments. But uh, in fairness, at least the government are stumping up and there is a payment there. In fairness, they are acknowledging that huge losses were were suffered by farmers and we did we started back in July trying to to lobby for this and in fairness a lot of farmers did in the SOS group as well um, we certainly worked together I think well on it and I think it's it's coming to fruition now and in fairness to the government and in fairness to the minister he has put a figure on it yes we would like it to be more but it's an, an, an acknowledgement that farmers lost big time this year and hopefully the 325 and a hectare 
up to, I think, a maximum of 4,800, I'm hearing, will go in some way of trying to replace the feed, whether it is through silage or through bought-in concentrate, because it's had enough to, with the years that's in it, it's had enough to get silage this year. But hopefully it'll go some way of, of alleviating the problem and that farmers who were stuck and maybe had to sell cattle early and suffer losses and that will be able to get something back out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously only announced, Pat, so there's no uh, concrete details yet on how to apply or when it will be uh, occurring or whatnot. Do we do we have any info on that? Will the payment be made this year, early days, next year? Probably hard, hard to answer that, I suppose. We're just wondering. Um unlikely to be made this year I would say I'm guessing but look at I've been working very closely with a senator here in Connors called Eugene Murphy Finnegal, Finna, Fall senator and in fairness he has said to me that it's going to be uh, as simple as possible to apply for and hopefully that there won't be any of the red tape that we've seen so many of these different schemes fall foul of in the past because farmers have lost we want it to be as simple as possible for farmers he has put that to the minister himself and hopefully it'll be simple to apply for and quick and easy to get the to get the payments because farmers need that money now. Farmers are buying and replacing that silage now as we speak. You, you mentioned about Dundeel earlier on in, the, in your previous speaker. Farmers are trying to scour Dundeel looking for silage and looking for quality silage as well and they are buying extra meals now off the, off the merchants as well just to try and I suppose, replace what was lost. Yeah, absolutely. So now is when they need it. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Pat. So as you say, hopefully nice and simple. Hopefully money comes through sooner rather than later. Uh, thanks a million for that, Pat. And we will speak to you again on the programme. Thanks, MJ. Uh, Pat Murphy there, Connacht Regional Chair with the IFA. And uh, I echo Pat's uh, comments there about hopefully it's nice and easy to apply for. I was popping in some paperwork uh, last night for the liming scheme, not for myself, but uh, I was uh, doing it for a couple of people and I was trying to find where you uploaded the dockets for purchasing lime on ag food. And uh, I asked one of the farmers and he forwarded me on a text message and it said, uploaded via agfood.ie. And when you pop into agfood.ie, there are about 20 different portals you can go into and maybe 10 different things in each one. Eventually I found it through, I'd say it was by accident almost, and the deadline was... uh, 12 midnight last night and it was worth uh, 15 euro a ton I think a uh, farmer in, in question had um, spread 60 ton I think it was two thirds of that is the payment not 100% sure on it but uh, it was very challenging to find where to put it basically and I think all of these schemes are great and all the rest but they need to be made as easy as possible both apply for and claim payment for and little maybe YouTube videos if the Department of Agriculture were to pop them up and show you where to go on ag food would be no harm at all now, coming up after the break, going to be talking to Joe Leonard. He is a dairy farmer from County Mead. He's the chairperson of Nuffield, Ireland. He's going to be talking all about their conference, which takes place this week. So stay tuned. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, we're moving on to the Nuffield uh, programme and we have the chairperson of Nuffield Ireland, Joe Leonard on the line. Joe, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thank you, I'm very kind. Uh, good of you to have us on. 
Uh, more than welcome, Joe. I've interviewed lots of Nuffield scholars over the years and uh, always find it very interesting. You're always looking into areas and doing research on very topical issues that affect us all here in agriculture. So it's always a pleasure to speak to you. You have your uh, event coming up uh, this week. It's your annual conference. Before we speak about it, just in a word, Joe, for people who may not be familiar with, uh, with Nuffield Ireland and Nuffield Scholarship, just, just what exactly is it in a sentence, please? It's a leadership program that's based around travel to develop um, people with an agri- Irish agriculture's ability to um, lead within their own communities after having um, travelled the world and, and found other, you know, researched their own topics and brought back their findings. Yeah, and uh, this year, obviously, as a result of uh, agriculture, where it's going and the different policies in relation to the environment, water quality and whatnot, uh, there is a, a, a real feel for that area through some of the papers that are going to be presented at your uh, event. Aoife Feeney has one on uh, on farm action for water quality. We're going to be speaking to Aoife in a moment. But uh, if I'm looking at another couple here in front of me, you have a paper being presented on uh, from a dairy farmer, David Dolan. He, his paper is Net Zero Carbon Emissions, Challenges and Opportunities for Farmers and Co-ops. That's really where the whole studies are at the moment. Uh, it, it, it's where we're at in agriculture. It is, yeah. Um, it definitely seems to be, and it, it's a theme certainly running through a lot of our scholarships, um, looking at sustainability and how agriculture can play its part in, in dealing with climate change. And, but, you know, David has done a, has done a great topic. Um, and when you look at it, I mean, is it possible to produce food without producing carbon emissions? But I mean, David has had a good look at that. Um, we also have another <clears throat> um, Lance Woods is looking at um, animal health and how good animal husbandry and, and um, can positively impact um, our climate targets. You know, um, the better the better an animal thrives, the, the lower its carbon footprint. I think is what I can gather from some of Lance's work. But he'll, he'll no doubt tell us far more tomorrow on Friday. You did one of these scholarships yourself, uh, Joe, a um, number of years ago. What was your paper on? So I did one in 2014, and um, I was looking at something, I suppose, slightly different at the time, but it's about um, stress management and mental health awareness within agriculture. So it was really around looking at, I suppose, the sustainability of farming from a farmer's point of view themselves and how we need to look after ourselves and uh, and the interactions we have with other people and, and, our, and our systems to make sure that we maintain ourselves. What were your findings on it, Joe? Were you finding that uh, people were managing stress well, not well, ignoring it? What was the, the general tenant of it? I suppose the general one was it, it, it tended to be the last, certainly within the farming community, it tended to be the last thing you looked at. I mean, farmers are excellent at looking after their livestock, their machinery, their farms, and usually they were the last ones when it came to, you know, the list of what needs to be looked after. So it's trying to raise awareness of that and kind of make people realise that, um, you know, without your own health, you know, the farm won't thrive. So you have to prioritise, you have to put yourself to the top of the list first rather than at the bottom of the list. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, look, we do lots on, on mental health here on the programme. And that is the, the message we get over and over again. You're the most important asset on the farm. Uh, no, yeah. quest, no question about it. Joe, before I let you go, because I'm going to be talking to Aoife in just a moment on her paper. Uh, you told me uh, earlier, I was chatting to you, you said you, you're dairy farming, but you, you have an interesting location for your dairy farm. I was thinking about uh, your county mead, but you're, you're very close to uh, Dublin and uh, a very populated area. Yeah, we 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 farm on the on the east coast of County Mead, so we're between Balbriggan and Drada. Um, <clears throat> we farm 
either side of the M1 motorway, just at the City North Hotel there. So to, if your listeners know us, if they're heading north to Belfast, they'll see the City North on the left-hand side, and there's a flyover, and if you see any cows walking across the road, they usually, or across the motorway bridge, they're usually mine. <laughs> so, yeah, and how, uh, how, does, um, how does life work on both sides of the M1? It's probably the busiest road in the country. It works fine. We've, we've good access points and whatever. We, you know, there's a, we are in a, in a, in a well-populated, built-up area, but um, no, we've got some good land here. We, we're not complaining, in fairness. No, we're very happy where we are. Yeah, and well, it's, uh, it's well known for, uh, for Market Garden up in that part of the world. And uh, as we know, you need good land for growing vegetables. So I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, it's some of the best land in the country in, the, in that region. We're very lucky where we're farming, yeah, certainly. And we do have, we would have competition, certainly, from market gardening around us. So, um, so it, it keeps us on our toes, all right, certainly. You're, you're going to try and keep the cows being milked up in uh, in uh, East Mead, North County, Dublin. Uh, Joe, many thanks. Uh, your event is on Friday, 10th of November, this Friday. It's in Mount Woolsey in uh, Tullow in County Carlow and uh, promises to be a, a great event for the evening. So many thanks for speaking to me, Joe. Thank you, MJ. And now we're going to stick on the Nuffield topic. And after the break, we're going to be speaking to Aoife Feeney. And she has spent the last year and a half researching the area of water quality and what you can do on the farm in in realistic terms to uh, aid and help water quality. So we're going to have that in just a moment. Stay tuned. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. And we are on the topic of the Nuffield Scholarship. And we have Aoife Feeney on the line who has just completed her uh, studies. Aoife, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No problem, MJ. Thanks for having me. Uh, Water quality is the subject of your research, Aoife. And it's entitled Identifying Ways to Encourage Farmers to Prioritise on-farm action for water quality. I think the heading is very interesting, uh, Aoife, because look, we're talking about this a lot and there's lots of different measures that farmers are doing and uh, are being asked to do, but it's uh, ways to encourage farmers to prioritise it, which is really, I suppose, what what we need to do uh, to get everyone on the same page for this. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the the focus of the topic was rather than looking for the silver bullet to cure all our water quality problems, it was more so how do we ensure that farmers make it a priority for them when they go out every day and they're trying to make decisions on the farm. What are they going to decide in a day that's going to impact water quality positively? Um, so it's, it's really focused on that behaviour change aspect, I suppose. And the, um, you're very well qualified for uh, this, Eve. Look, you have an educational background in it, but your, uh, your real-world experience was working in uh, Holland for a number of years or the Netherlands. And uh, that really is and was the place for intensive agriculture, water quality. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your uh, previous working in the country there, please? Yeah, so I, I suppose I, I'm currently working with the, the Netherlands uh, government in based in their embassy in Dublin. Um, so my role there is focused on policy um, and trade, I guess, between the Netherlands and Ireland. So I've, I've been based fully in Ireland for since I've finished college. Um, I worked previously in the dairy industry down in West Cork for about four and a half years and prior to that for a couple of years with Farm Relief Services in Chagask, uh, still in West Cork. And my work with them predominantly was focused on water quality with the dairy farmers supplying the, the Carberry factory and the four West Cork co-ops um, and managing the ASAP water quality program down there. So I suppose, you know, we, we always look to the Netherlands in terms of where they're going and what they're doing as a progressive agricultural country. 
especially within the EU. Um, I think they're a natural ally for Ireland and, and that's how this position uh, came up. So I'm in this position about 18 months um, and the idea really was post-Brexit, the Dutch were looking for a natural ally when it came to policy negotiations in Brussels. Um, but equally, the, the sharing of knowledge um, and the likes of agri-tech and, and to see where things are going over the next number of years. So the position in Dublin was created um, and I was fortunate enough to, to be given the opportunity to take it up. Uh, a lot of political change in the Netherlands uh, from uh, political parties that have come to the fore who want more of a voice for farmers and a voice for rural dwellers. Uh, a lot of unrest and unease over there. What way are they going now when it comes to that side of things, uh, Aoife, in the Netherlands? Are people happy with um, the way uh, government policy is, is uh, pursuing over there? Or do they feel like they're being let down a little bit by the powers that be? Or what's the kind of big picture? That's a fairly loaded question. <laughs> I suppose, look, it, it, it's not really for me to say what the people are feeling over there, because as I said, I'm based here in Ireland. But, um, you know, from a policy perspective, it, it hasn't really changed the, the course of the policy development from an agricultural perspective. Um, I guess when we compare the Netherlands and Ireland, the issues that we face in the Netherlands are very different. Um, while a lot of them are the same, there, there's much bigger challenges there. And we have to remember we're two very different countries with very different production systems. And the other thing to remember is the Netherlands is a very small country with a very high population. Um, so it's intensively managed uh, on a human basis, never mind a cow basis. Um, but I suppose the, you know, the reference to the parties over there and the political parties and the likes of the, the BBB party, um, you know, people often mistake them as the farmers' party, and I think it's important just to clarify it's it's a rural party. They rec- they represent not just farmers but also rural dwellers, um, and I suppose that's why they've had such support because it's trying to link that urban and rural uh, disconnect a little bit better. So it, it's not just about all the farmers, and I think that's why they have been so successful um, over the last number of months. But I suppose we're in testing times at the moment. Um, we face elections on the 22nd of November, so there will be a new government um, by December, all going well. So I think it's kind of in a little bit uncharted territory at the moment. Um, so it's really hard to see where it's going to go um, at the minute. But there, there's a lot of targets and challenges coming down the agricultural route for the farmers there. And uh, your paper then, uh, if it the uh, ways to encourage farmers to um, prioritise on-farm action for water quality. So where we're at now at the moment, water quality-wise, interviewed Minister for Agriculture at the ploughing and he must have said water quality about, I'd say, 15 times maybe over the course of a, an, an 18-minute interview or 20-minute interview. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it, it's just it's pushed out all the time. It's water quality, water quality, water quality. Uh, and that's that's the drum that's being beaten at the moment. Um, yeah. wh- wh- what are you saying? What are these actions, these ways that farmers can prioritise it while still maintaining, you know, profitability and maintaining their hold and maintaining their herd? Absolutely. It's, um, I suppose, look, that the focus of water quality over the last number of years has been because of the nitrates derogation. Um, we are fortunate in Ireland to still have our nitrates derogation, although I know it is reducing by January. Um, we're one of three remaining countries with one. The Netherlands lost theirs last year. And that really allows us to have the output of milk that we do as a nation um, for exports. So I think the reason the focus has been on it so much is because, you know, it, it is going to impact the profitability of the industry um, if, if we do lose our nitrates derogation. And ultimately, that's underpinned by water quality. Um, I suppose I've always been talking about water quality since for the last six, seven years anyway, since I finished college. It's kind of always been a focus of mine in my career. 
Um, and having worked with the farmers over the years in West Cork, who were fantastic, to be fair to them, they really got on board with the programme early on. The, the biggest challenge I faced with them was to actually get the action. There was no problem agreeing the actions. It was to get them to prioritise it, to carry it out fully, be it putting in fencing at the rivers or asking them to reduce their nitrogen use, even starting with a couple of paddocks um, to try and improve those nutrient efficiencies. It was just to get them to do it. There was always a block of some sort, whether it was the fear of not growing grass or the cost of fencing posts, whatever it might have been. There was just something that didn't put it at the forefront. I think now, given where we are with the, the derogation and the, the important thing to remember is water quality isn't just going to impact the derogation farmers. It's going to impact all farmers. Because if we do lose our derogation, that's going to affect milk price on a whole level. But equally, it'll affect the, the higher stocked beef farmers as well. So it's something that I think every farmer has to be cognizant of. But in terms of my own studies, um, I travelled to eight countries. I, I got to see an awful lot uh, around the world, which was amazing. Um, and I was really kind of focusing on the countries that had a similar system to us in terms of groundwater-fed river systems, um, grass-based systems, and then those that were facing similar challenges, such as the EU policy, the loss of the nitrates derogation. Um, but really, the, the key findings I'm going to present on Friday came down to um, New Zealand, I suppose, which is no surprise to, to a lot of us out there. You know, we're a really similar production system. Um, so I got to visit the Taranaki catchments uh, on the North Island of New Zealand. Um, and I met with a group of farmers there who, to, to, I suppose, explained the program briefly. It was really similar to the ASAP program and the agricultural catchments program that we have here already. And that was one thing, I suppose, that, you know, what we're doing in Ireland is already fantastic and we just need to keep the momentum going and, and keep the engagement at farm level. Um, but I think the way they did it, they, it was the farmers that were leading the program rather than the co-ops, rather than it being Chagas or the government um, the farmers took the lead on it. They asked for help where they could get it. They didn't get any monetary funding, um, but they got free support in terms of advice, ecologists, um, and even the local county councils weighed in on it where they put in wastewater treatment plants um, on some farms as a test system, very similar to a rebed system, which I suppose is a lot more difficult to do here because it requires licenses and things like that. And I just think the farmer-led approach builds trust a lot quicker among the catchments groups that a lot more farmers got involved um, and a lot more farmers were willing to take action. Um, you know, like putting in a riparian zone of 10 or 15 metres seems quite alien here where I suppose we're trying to utilise every inch of grass that we have. Whereas over there, it was a lot more normal that, that you had 10 or 15 metres of a riparian margin along the river to absorb the nutrients. And it was just that behaviour aspect of it being driven by the farmers, for the farmers, and keeping the local community involved made it a, a success in that area. And it has been rolled out to other catchments across the North Island as well. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot that the, the catchments program here and the ASAP program here can build on from that as well. Uh, how is water quality in uh, New Zealand now? Aoife? It's probably a hard question to answer. It's divided over the two islands. And obviously some of the areas are doing those programs. But um, in, in general, are they improving? They they are improving. Um, I would say we're we're better in Ireland but the, again the differences there being EU policy dictates their stocking rates now New Zealand generally farm up at around the 250 kilos of nitrogen per hectare um, anyway and I suppose the, the farms over there are a lot bigger um, the soil types and, and the underlying geology is quite different as well so it makes it a little bit more difficult to do a like for like comparison but their nitrogen concentrations will be a lot higher than Ireland Um I think there was one particular area that we're in that the nitrogen concentrations were well above 50 milligrams 
um, per litre in the in the freshwater rivers, and their target is the very same as Ireland, or even just slightly different. I think theirs is two point four milligrams per litre um, of nitrate, whereas ours is I think two point five. So you know they have a very similar target, but I think it will be a lot difficult for them to get to it. Um, and I, I think that's mostly down to their stocking rates and you know maybe the the improper management of some of the paddocks um, that are intensively managed, they also don't have a, a wintering period like we do here as well. So that kind of changes things a little bit. But, um, you know, no, the, I presume the challenge is um, similar. Yeah, I presume there's, uh, there has been no fertiliser database rolled out in New Zealand. And guys, can you can kind of just spread as much, or, or well, you can spread nitrogen will, willy-nilly. Or I suppose guys aren't going to be spreading, you know, cost and whatnot, but you can spread more then you will be able to in Ireland coming coming down the tracks from next year on. Uh, that's the case, I'm presuming, in New Zealand, is it? It is at the moment. I'm not sure uh, off the top of my head if they have a fertiliser register as such. Um, I know there is something in conjunction with Fonterra um, touching on that, but it, it's something they're building on is trying to reduce the reliance on the nitrogen fertilisers as well. Um, but I suppose how quickly that will happen, given that their their policies are so different, it's hard to know. Um, but I think the one thing we've learned here, like over the last year, is that, you know, we can still grow the grass with, without all the nitrogen we're using. And, and the cost of fertilizer really proved that last year. There's much higher uptake of the clover swords and species, um, which will all have a, a positive impact as well um, for our nutrient use going forward. But it, it won't solve the problem. You can still have nitrate leaching from clover swords um, and, and from multi-species swords, but the research into that, we don't know what level that will have an impact, but it, it, it can't be worse than the chemical nitrate at the moment. Yeah, it's a very interesting area, uh, Aoife, and it's something I'd say you're going to be continuing to, to work on going forward. Uh, many thanks for, for joining us here, and you're going to be presenting your paper on Friday evening in uh, Tullow County Carlow in the Mount Woolsey Hotel at the, the conference. I'm sure people are going to be listening intently. Aoife, many thanks for joining us here on the programme and giving us a rundown on your studies. No problem, MJ. Thanks, William. Uh, Aoife Fini there Nuffield Scotland as I said that is on a Friday evening and uh, all those papers are going to be uh, spoken about uh, over the course of the evening and water quality is just that one it's what we're we, look we are doing it how are we making a concerted effort using low emission slurry spreading uh, spreading less nitrogen that's after happening as a result of cost as much as anything else over the course of last year multi-species sward clover uh, fencing out from drains fencing out from rivers all of these things are, are making a difference. And it's what farmers are doing. We're all doing it and uh, making a concerted effort to uh, to improve water quality as a result. Now, coming up after the break, we are going to be speaking to Sean Ryan. He's the chairman of the Potato Committee of the IFA. And potato growers are in serious, serious hardship with 50 to 60% of crops still in the ground. We're going to speak to Sean in a couple of moments. Stay tuned. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to the area of potatoes and we have Chairman of the IFA Potato Committee, Sean Ryan, on the line. Sean, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Good evening, Dan, Jack. Uh, 
Sean, it's uh, I'd prefer not to not have to speak to you because I'm only speaking to you as a result of the the hardship which uh, potato growers find themselves in. You are a County Wexford man, and as I said, you're chair of the Potato Committee. You forwarded me a couple of pictures here just on WhatsApp uh, before we came on air, and uh, as I say, a picture paints a thousand words. I'm going to try and explain them to our listeners here, but it's a, a potato field that you would genuinely almost need a canoe to get uh, to get up and down in, and uh, this is just indicative of what's happening. Up to 50 to 60% of potatoes still in the ground, I believe, Sean? Yeah, there would, there would be still, yeah. There could be up to 60% in, in some areas. Um, yeah, it's just one of those years that you'd like, just like to forget, I suppose, really. Um, it, it started off, I suppose, with the late planting. Uh, the spring was so wet that we were probably five or six weeks behind on planting. And that has created this problem um, that were the, just crops were slow to mature then and hard to get the dry matters right and it just left it in such a way that we were late or starting to harvest than we should be but then we wouldn't have had the the weather was so bad in October we wouldn't have got to start either so it's um, yeah that's really why the the biggest the the biggest issue was was the late planting so it's just all them things together uh, is this the worst? Uh, you're um, sowing potatoes a long time yourself, uh, uh, Sean, and on your family farm there as well as a, a couple of other interests. Uh, is this the worst year you've seen for potato harvesting? Yeah, I, I've never seen it that um, you're coming up to the 15th of uh, November and very little, you know, not halfway. Usually at this stage, you'd be finished uh, harvesting and have everything in, in cold storage and, and, you know, to be in, in from the frost. Uh, like the frost is our biggest worry now. With, the, with so much rain, it has washed all the, the clay off the top of the drills and there's potatoes and literally sticking out the sides of the drills now and, and the tops of the drills. And one night's frost will, will um, you know, it'll, it'll do a lot of damage to them. And if you, if you get frost, you can't harvest because you, you bring in the frosted ones with the, with the good ones and they rot the, the, the good ones. So, it's, you know, it's, 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 we're in a tricky time now. You know, when you come to this stage of the year, uh, 15th of November is usually the earmark that you kind of go by uh, that you need to have them in but it's, it's going to happen this year uh, I presume look you're glued to Medairn at the moment same as all potato uh, growers in, in the country um, obviously keep a good eye on it myself uh, the weather looks to maybe becoming a little bit milder uh, towards the uh, end of the weekend start of next week but look at this stage of the year it's, it's very hard to know but uh, what would you actually need now Sean in relation to weather wise to get the potatoes out so we, we don't want frost so fingers crossed for that but in order to be able to actually harvest them like how much uh, decent weather would you have to get in a block? Oh, sure, um, even the, 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 the track machines out there like there's a lot of very good gear growers have a lot of a very good gear to get out potatoes now um, they have to have them. That's the way you know the weather the way it is. And, and um, but even there's some uh, the them track machines not even moving yet because ground the ground is still too wet to to harvest. So they'll need four or five days for to soak out to even to get get going. And then when they do get going, they probably need two to three weeks. Um, you know, full harvesting to try and to try and bring in. There, there is some going to be some ground that's not going to be harvested. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's, that's really what happened this year. The biggest problem was uh, it was so wet in October that people dug their, their dry ground first uh, because the, the wet ground was, was, was too wet at that stage. Usually you, you dig all your wet ground first. Uh, not wet ground, but your, your, your tricky fields or whatever. But this year, it, all the dry ground is done and now it's the trickier fields that's left. 
Yeah, it is one of those ones, Sean. It's a year. I was speaking to uh, a farmer uh, one day, about two, three weeks ago, uh, 70 years old. He's been growing uh, barley all his life since uh, his father was doing it since he was a boy. And they actually lost the field of barley this year for the first year. Potato growers, I'd say, will lose potato crops that they've never lost before. Had the Shannon Callows on earlier in the programme uh, up here in our part of the world, uh, the area along the banks of the Shannon that they haven't been able to harvest any uh, silage or hay on. It really has been an absolutely terrible, terrible year uh, for some sectors. Yeah, that's probably one of those years you'd just like to draw a line under it and forget about that, you know. But, uh, you know, well, it's, it's, it's just one of those years that um, we, we, you could never envisage how, how bad it was going to be. Like, you think that after all the rain that we got all summer, that you would get a decent spell um, at, at the back end of the year. But it just, did, for some reason, just didn't happen this year. Most years you would, you know, you would get a spell and, and you get your work done. But this year it just, just uh, hasn't happened. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sean, look, our um, our fingers are going to be crossed. We'll say a prayer for you uh, up here in the Midlands that um, uh, potato growers will be able to get crops out. Uh, it's a tough time for you all involved in the sector. And I'm just going to say many thanks for joining me here on the programme. No problem. Thanks for that, Andrew. Uh, Sean Ryan there, Potato Chairman from the IFA. And as I said, it is just one of those years, a very, very, very tough year for uh, lots and lots of sectors and uh, really tough. And you see those pictures, uh, those pictures that Sean sent me on, they will be featuring on 6-1 News. I think next Monday uh, somebody is going to that field where the, the crop is right off you, you wouldn't get into it with any type of track machine. And uh, it really is a, it's a tough state of affairs when you go to the work of planting a crop and not to be able to harvest it. Really, really is not simple. So just fingers crossed, a little bit of dry weather comes and uh, some of the crops can be harvested at least. Before I finish up this evening, just in from the Farmer's Journal, the headline tomorrow is a six-month delay to nitrates cut on the cards. Now, don't quote me on that because it says a six-month delay to Ireland's derogation cut is possible, says MEP Colin Markey. So um, we'll have to wait and see on that. But that's that's the headline on the Farmer's Journal tomorrow. There's also been a, a issue with an atypical case of BSE in a 10-year-old cow. And Irish beef is locked out of China again. We're only just after getting into it and we're locked out again. So we'll have to see how long. That last farmers offered up to fifty thousand euro per pylon by Airgrid. Farmers in County Mead, Cavan, and Monaghan have been offered up to fifty thousand euro to erect pylons on their land uh, to carry cabling across those counties. I believe in the fifty thousand Airgrid myself. Uh, wouldn't put one up for all the tea in China, but maybe some farmers will. And uh, another couple of stories on the journal tomorrow: organic train going in the right direction. The organic scheme has opened again for any of you who are interested in it. It's open now for about the next month. You'll need to get your agri-planner on board for that. You have to submit a plan to either the organic bodies and then they have to tick the box for you and then off you go to the department. And uh, also the Shannon Callow funding is on tomorrow's journal also. Now, that is it for this evening's programme. I'm going to say many thanks to all my guests who joined me over the course of the last hour. A busy schedule here, as always, on the programme. At the start, we had Pat Murphy from the IFA and Chris Daly from ICBF. Hopefully that cleared up the issue on the skep for you all, if you're wondering about it. Joe Leonard and Aoife Feeney, both from uh, Nuffield, spoke to me. Aoife spoke about her paper on water quality. And also Sean Ryan there, potato chair from the IFA, with the unfortunate news of potato harvesters in real trouble at this time of the year. That's it for tonight. I'll be back this time next week. As always, I'll be repeated on Sunday morning at 7am. And 
you can get us wherever you get your podcasts. If you type in MJ space Cleary, C-L-E-R-Y, we'll pop up and you can listen at your leisure. Uh, I'll speak to you in seven days. Good night and God bless.